and we're back and we're here for our post tiff wrap up with norm hello hello folks you may remember norm from uh, one of our prep episodes uh, he had a press industry pass so he saw a crazy amount of movies what was your total in at the end 51 was the final count all right it kept me busy and that's a couple of short days for industry parties as well and what's a short day for you three Okay. Yeah, it's a short day for me, three. That, actually, that sounds like a normal day. So how do you see 51 when you have also three movie days? So what was the most that you saw in a day? I had two seven movie days. Oh my. Yes. How many meals do you get to eat on a day like that? Um, maybe two. Yeah. Two, I would say. How does your ass feel at the end of the day? Like, well, with these modern seats, it's good. Yeah. No more Cumberland where you're left cheek, right cheek, kind of squirming around. Yeah. The seats are good, especially in the Scotiabank. Yeah. The AVX, we talk, last time we, ran, we talked about the best actual theaters, mm -hmm. but the best actual seats are in that AVX, yeah. that two at Scotiabank. It does do a sort of a nice butt and back hugging thing. Oh yeah, that's yeah. very good. And the next best would, I'd say, be the IMAX there as well. Excellent seats. Mm -hmm. And of course, Lightbox 1 and Lightbox 2. Yeah. So I saw a lot of my stuff in those four theaters. So everything was honky-dory, no cramps, no nothing. It was good. Yeah, yeah. That, that's amazing. I, I did well only having one of the rides in this year. Like my body definitely thanked me for making that programming choice for myself. So yeah, I felt not as roughed up as I felt in previous years. Still very concerned about what they're gonna do when the Scotiabank ends up getting demolished, but that's a problem for a future festival. That's a, that's a good topic. I was going to bring that topic up as a topic yeah. to discuss. Yeah. Um, so when I responded, because I had an industry pass, when I responded, they talked about things you like, things you might want to see changed, and I talked about bringing back again press and industry screenings out of the Princes of Wales, which they did. Like for some of the bigger ones, because that place is huge. Yeah. And can handle like a major, like a Knives Out or a joker or something really big. And they don't have P&I people whining on social media about not being able to get into movies too. Exactly. They have a bigger space for Yeah. Them. So I hope I hopefully they'll go back to that. Yeah. Because they used it about three years ago and then they stopped. Because they don't run screenings there all day. They could at least do one nine a.m. there. Yeah, they could. Yeah. From, yeah, they could do from what I saw when they did it before. It wasn't every day, but the days they did do, they do like a nine and a noon. Yeah. So like I'm, I they wouldn't do it the first Thursday, Friday, but like Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, they would do a nine and a noon, like the big ones, like Ford versus Ferrari, those ones they know they're gonna get a big audience for, mm. they could run those there. Yeah. And I expect they're gonna go back to Young Dundas, I guess. I don't know where else they would go. Yeah, I guess they have to. Well, hopefully, uh, Cineplex, if anyone from there is listening. You gotta overhaul those bathrooms at Young and Dundas. They legit have not been updated since y'all take over from AMC. Um, those toilets are a disaster. And I, it occurred to me, maybe one of the reasons management doesn't know how bad the bathrooms are across the board is maybe even if upper management were to deign to visit that theater, it's probably still mostly dudes. Cause the ladies bathroom, so seats, it's like, it's legit disgusting. Like they're so pitted from like wow. having been like, you know, cleaned over and over again. Like the actual surface of the toilet seats is like eroded. It's almost like a stucco ceiling type surface that's on like the toilet seats and the ladies. That is so funny because the yeah. men's is the exact opposite. But I guess I do a lot of VIP there. So I'm up on the VIP section. Yeah. 
but the men's is so neat because all the guys will know go to Young Dundas. Yeah. There's a kind of a split off section with only two urinals on it, and that's where I was beeline for. Yeah. So just, you have your own kind of private section there, and yeah. it's it's night. I guess it's night and day there. Yeah, and like half of the doors are like you know slightly busted or there's hooks or what. It's just it's a real trash experience going to the bathroom at Cineplex and. If they wait to fix it until after they move movies back there, then they'll get to hear like actual movie reviewers with real followings talk about how trash the bathrooms are. So just fix it now, Cineplex, for your like Toronto customers. So what's a good one? What's a good female bathroom at TIFF? What's the, uh, give me your top couple light, of female bathrooms. Light, light box all the way, especially going up to the third floor. Right. Because there's just less traffic there. It's so nice and quiet and clean, and it doesn't smell like you know, what bathrooms can smell like under heavy use with low cleaning and, you know, old tiles and doors and everything else. Uh, I'd say it's light box all the way. Again, the Cineplex bathrooms at Scotia aren't much better than Young and Dundas slightly, but not really. They stay more on top of the cleaning during the festival, but in general, it's still not a great experience. And either the ones up the stairs, uh, the accessible one on the ground floor, or the ones at the back. Like, they're all... Pretty bad, and the ones at the back, there's only a couple of stalls. I was gonna say, I see there's a lot of big lines at the yeah. ones at the back. Even the men's one down, when you go back and you head right, yeah, that one's small. There's like two, there's two stalls and two urinals for the men, yeah, and that one, even the men's one, there's lined up outside the door, which is ridiculous because it's closest to the theater with the largest capacity, the IMAX one. So, an IMAX movie empties out, and then right. the bathroom lines are. Yeah. ridiculous. Because I always bolt to the one at the far end if I need one there or go all the way around and go upstairs. It's just legit faster to leave that place and go across the street to the Firkin. It's a shorter way to use the bathroom and it's a better smelling bathroom. Alright, yeah. pretty so, so there's our bathroom critique. <laughs> yeah, bonus topic yes. that we didn't plan to discuss. Yeah, so I think we'll just go straight into uh, a topic that I wanted to discuss. I actually got this idea from listening to uh, the NPR podcast, uh, Pop Culture Happy Hour, talk about Joker, where they said uh, Joaquin Phoenix could be nominated for a Most Acting Award, which I feel like is an excellent way of describing what he does in that film. It is the most acting I've seen in a very long time. So our topic, instead of top five or top ten, most feels that you experienced in a film, uh, because sometimes films during the festival do a really good job of making you feel unexpected things or feel really uncomfortable or excited or just happy. And those are the films I think that I always end up enjoying the most kind of after the fact because they stay with me and they make me think about things or they have conversations with people about them. So for you, what were your... Uh, films that you would put under your most feels in a film? Well, I tend to have really good first days at TIFF. And at another really good first day again uh, this year. Uh, the first film I saw was The Climb. A small movie. Um, it, was, it came from uh, Sundance, where it started out. And it opens with these two guys, best friends forever, on a bike trip in France because one of them is getting married and the other one's going to be the best man. So they go off on a bike ride by themselves. Uh, the best man character is more athletic and knows what's going on. His friend's a little dumpier, doesn't know as well about the bike riding uh, 
routine and the best man has something to say, uh, it's very controversial, and he waits for the point where they're both going to big, climb up a big hill, says it, then sprints away. So that's how this movie opens, and it's a well-written movie, uh, best writing that I saw at the festival. Um, made you feel about friendship, made you feel about relationships, uh, made you think about parenthood, and it's one that kept on coming back to me. So it's one I would say was a, a big feeler for me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And that was on my long list, but I didn't fit it in my schedule, so I'll definitely look for it whenever it comes out. I'm sure it'll come out somewhere It was here. small though, right? It was small. And what country was it? A uh, USA. Okay. Yeah, independent USA. All right. So I'm sure it will come out. Um, it'll be somewhere at one of the rep cinemas at least, if not at the light box. Yeah. And any others under your most reels? Well, Joker. I saw Joker again. Um, that one stays with you. Also, all the media talk about it. It breaking the October record. Uh, Walking Phoenix's performance. Um, what it says about society. What it says about... Uh, it's at its basis, I think, anyways is social services um, being reduced and cut, which is a big thing here in Canada, as we're having our federal election coming up in a couple of weeks, and you kind of have folks that want to cut things, cut services, as opposed to different parties that want to expand services, and that battle between. And uh, Joaquin's, Phoenix's character was kind of keeping things together until he goes to his uh, psychologist or psychiatrist and here's the news that the funding's been cut. This is our last session. And after that, it's right over the deep end for him. Yeah. In my opinion of it. And, and low-key, uh, also a film that advocates possibly for gun control, not directly, but around the same issues of you know, lack of services and support for people with mental health. There's also the issue of if you are going to cut social services for mental health and also have no gun control, then that's kind of a recipe for disaster that you've cooked up yourself. Exactly. And you're serving out to your populace. Exactly. Yeah. And also there's a bit in there too about how the top 1% kind of keep their position while the 99% are kind of asleep, watching the reality television, um, all drummed up watching sporting events. But if they wake up, and realize there's more than us than there is of them, and say we're not taking this anymore, maybe a little swing towards Hong Kong, which is kind of what's going on there, that the top 1% is in trouble. If everybody that's under them mobilizes and gets together and decides we're gonna band together and we're, you know, if your stockbrokers are on a, on a subway harassing a young woman, they're gonna get what they deserve. Can you hear the people saying? Yeah. Exactly. Maybe we're heading for more like a lay Miz future than a Civil War future. That's possible. Yeah. Maybe less uh, Dear Martha letters and more uh, Jean Valjean. As long as there's no Russell Crowe in that future, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> I don't know if I'm all for either of those futures. It would be nice if we could all just get along. Kindness. True. Yeah, sorry, listener, if I'm uncharacteristically optimistic today. I'm hungover and over, overcompensating, so I'll, I'll adjust my emotional levels as we move through this. Uh, for me, most feels was uh, Waves, a film that a lot of people were talking about. So I don't necessarily have it in 
it may be my top 10, but it wouldn't be my top five for like enjoyment, but I felt a lot. Uh, they had the advantage of time because Waves is basically like two movies in one. Exactly. Uh, so it's easy to make you feel a lot if you take your time doing it. But uh, I did have a lot of moments of frustration, uh, real kind of, you know, wanting to yell at the screen moments. It's some terrible parenting choices on the part of Sterling K. Brown's character. Uh, the descent into uh, a lack of impulse control escalating to full-on violence on one character's part also had me very frustrated and again sort of thinking about you know the lack of acknowledgement of mental health issues and support for that and especially identifying things early when people are young and you know getting them there like that's not a thing that's really thought of as much you know parents a lot of them sort of acknowledge after well maybe if we've done something but you know that's already too late so that's true uh, and then the the second half the completely other uh, movie because it is really like two different movies um, that one I first you feel relief because the first half is so harrowing is you know this kind of tense spiral that you take with the the male characters. So I was going to mention your spiral <laughs> thing. When what emotion was I was going to say it was nausea in there. Where the yeah. only times I spun the camera out in that movie, yeah, the yeah. twirling of the camera, like they could they could have cut half of those. Yeah, there's there's a lot of um, visual uh, stylistic choices that it does have kind of a mu uh, music video element throughout. That's true. Yeah. I think I saw somebody on Twitter compare it to like a, a three-hour Frank Ocean music video, which uh, somebody else replied, you're not wrong. <laughs> I heard some Spring Breakers comments to it as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So, again, not for everyone. I'm still not even 100% sure if it was for me, but I definitely felt the most emotions during that. And I had a full moment of doing a audible hand-in-my-mouth gasp that you know, for a big moment in the film that a lot of other people did at the same time as well. So I felt a lot. I thought about it afterwards. I talked about it afterwards with a lot of other people who were doing the festival. It's a movie that I heard people talking about in lineups. Um, so that one would be under most feels for me. My other one uh, for most feels, uh, Sound of Metal with uh, yes. Riz Ahmed. That's my number three movie of the festival. Yeah, that one definitely. I don't know if anybody would know how to market that and I am concerned that similar to you know Place Beyond the Pines uh, since it's from part of the same creative team it might just sort of disappear into sort of arty film obscurity but I hope it gets at least enough of a release to be part of maybe the independent spirit conversation if not the actual big awards because that movie from the beginning you are like nailed to your seat in Riz Ahmed's performance is, he's in almost every frame of that movie and he's fantastic. Yeah, he's exceptional in that film. Uh, there's a lot of discussion there as well of kind of accepting your fate somewhat and he was reticent to do so, fighting it, fighting it, then he embraced it and was really thriving 
And at that point, he, just, he makes a choice, which is not a great choice, and puts him in a worse position than, than he was from the beginning, which is a strange, a strange human choice. It's just his, his desire to get to a spot um, overwhelmed the great situation he was in, and he just made a strange choice that led to more heartache. And I don't want to give anything away, but there's a telltale um, kind of tick that one of the main characters develops again, and his reaction to it is just catastrophic. Yeah. And that tick coming back. It's just catastrophic reaction, and where he ends up after that mm -hmm. is all I'm going to say. It's something you have to see. Just, it's just an amazing performance. Yeah. So definitely those two under made me feel a lot of stuff, which I like. I like that's why I do a festival. It takes me out of my head and takes me to somebody else's, and it's not always a fun trip to visit somebody else's head. But it, uh, without that ability to uh, feel that, then we have a lack of empathy, and then we're just a bunch of sociopaths. So exactly. Yeah, feels are good. But I heard a lot of talk about that movie that. It better be up for, if not winning, all the sound awards coming up. Oh, God, yeah. Come award season. Like, that has to win all those sound awards. Or at least, yeah. At least it needs to be nominated. At least be up for it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, I know that for the press and industry screenings, you don't see a lot of Q&As. Those are just bang, 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 movie after movie. Yeah. Um, the, the, minute, the minute comes up, the movie starts. Yeah. And then even, I know from some of the P&I people... That I know even if they do see public screenings, they often don't stay for Q&As because they don't have time because then they're rushing back into the P&I grinder. Like, they'll dip out to see a public screening right. or something they couldn't Which fit I in. Which I did here and there. Yeah, but for me, the best Q&A movement was really in uh, Baccarat. So the Brazilian film right. that was the, you know, small villages sold out by a, a functionary and becomes a playground for a bunch of sociopathic international mercenaries yes. to hunt people for sport. Right. And that Q&A, uh, and this is one of the things I love about Toronto Film Festival, any movie from any country has, it may not find an audience after the festival, but it always finds anywhere from, you know, tens to sometimes hundreds, in the case of a slumdog, of viewers from the country of origin. So the Q&A ended up being very dominated by uh, attendees who were from Brazil, and it became this sort of group kind of conversation slash grief counseling session about the current political situation in their country. And the, the directors and uh, some of the attendees at that movie were really just kind of sharing their feelings about how wild um, their country's gotten and how sad they are about it. And it was the kind of feeling of you're getting to eavesdrop on people from like another culture, having like a right. public conversation amidst this audience of uh, international viewers. It was but, kind of cool, but also a bummer. But weren't their last two prime ministers, prime minister, the president, I'm not sure what they have, weren't they both in jail or un under investigation or yeah, something yeah. like that? So it's, it's constant very topsy-turvy there. Yeah. No, I saw the movie as well, but a press screening, it, it's one of the better ones I saw 
wasn't, did, wasn't, didn't we know anything about it going in, was presently surprised yeah, with yeah. how it went. It, it has, it takes a while to get going, listener, but if you ever do get a chance to see it, that last act slaps. Do not leave early. Uh, one of our friends from the movie meetups, he had to leave early to get to the Midnight Madness, and he left right before they kick off in the Little Town Museum. And he asked me, like, tell me what happened or tell me what I missed. And, like, so much happens. Exactly. That's <laughs> where it's, like, that's where it it's starts, like, kind of, right yeah, there. Yeah, when I saw him at the meetup, I was like, dude, this isn't something I could type in a Twitter DM. I have to, like, describe it and then try to act it out. And I think exactly. we were at beers and then other people were jumping in to be like, yeah, this, yeah, that. And it's, it's such a slow build up to that point in the movie. And it pays off so well at the end. Like, that that whole end sequence, it's really fantastic. So if you do go see it, and you know, maybe you like violent movies, but you struggle maybe with things with subtitles, and you like more violent movies that are all, you know, punch, kick, shoot from the beginning, like the raid, like, just give this one time, because you get what you want at the end. You get some good, um, kind of satisfying violence. There is some foreshadowing at the beginning, when two of the main characters are coming into the town. Yeah. And you kind of see a scene at the beginning that this could be going somewhere, mm. but then it quiets down and takes a while to build back up yeah. uh, to get to its conclusion. But yeah. it's well worth the trip. Yeah, and you spend much more time with the, the, the townies than I thought we were going to in a movie like this. I thought we'd be spending more time with the sociopathic mercenaries, right. uh, which I like because, again, the why... The for sport crowd. Why else... Would you care about these people? You just see them as people first before you get to the hunting part kicking off so then you sort of know who these different people in this village are. So the movie does a great job of personalizing them, putting the lotion in the basket or else it gets the Their relationships, again. their yeah. family rivalries going back a couple of decades. Yeah. You see all that. Yeah, yeah. So that was my best Q&A moment. Did you get to stay for any Q&As where there was anything good? I also love Listener when uh, director mocks people like Steve McQueen who wasn't here this year with anything or when uh, the audience turns on somebody asking a dumb question. Those are also fun for me. But this year, this like sort of uh, touchy-feely geopolitical moment like hit me a little more than some of those other ones. I did see a couple, but again, as you say, I'll stay for a couple questions and kind of go towards the exit, then I got a bolt. But nothing that really stood out, though. Yeah. Um, the director from Atlantis was good. Atlantis or Atlantics? So Atlantics was good. Okay. She came out and did her Q&A. And a bit about the zombie feel of the movie. That was good. Mm-hmm. But again, I had to kind of go up the side and bolt out of there. Mm-hmm. But nothing I could really sit down, okay, I'm here. I can engage and spend the full time. There were some moments in Atlantics that actually visually reminded me of Waves. A similar, almost visual color palette. Yeah, a lot of that, that blue tone, a lot of yeah. that blue tone going in, there's some purples in there. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that was a good one too, but not the kind of movie I'd recommend to everyone. No, that's, yeah. uh, that's an acquired taste. Yeah. But uh, it was well done, but acquired taste. Yeah. Um, very good direction. Good story. It, it, can, it can take a while to figure it out what's going on actually in that movie. But after a bit, you, you settle, okay, this, this, yeah, what I thought was going on is what's going on. Mm. And uh, some, some really comedic moments. There's a police detective that gets involved in a few things and uh, tries to take some measures, but they don't work out for him. But that's, that's a good thread in there as well. 
my runner-up for uh, most lively Q&A. And uh, again, creators, if you ever get your film into TIFF, if you can, show up for all of your screenings because Q&A is where you can, if you have a good personality, if you're a good public speaker, if you or anyone in your cast is charming, that's what pushes you over the edge. Uh, Taika Waititi, Jojo Rabbit. So I was at like a, the first non-premium screening. So it was not that whole entire stack cast. It was him, um, the young actor who plays Jojo, and I believe one of the producers that showed up okay. for that Q&A. And, but Taika, I mean, you could just watch him do nothing but play with his beautiful hair. But he got on stage and he's working the crowd. He's funny. He's giving like long, uh, detailed, informative, and even like in some cases emotional answers to some of the questions. And but also hamming it up with the child on stage. Like you know, somebody would ask the the younger actor how what was it working on this film, and he gave you know an answer sort of with a glowing report of what it was like to work with Taika, and then turned to him and said, "Is that okay?" Like it was, they, they already had bits, like they were sort of workshopping what I'm imagining the whole press junket for this movie is going to look like live on stage. And that's what wins you people's choice awards, folks. And Showing up Tyke for those a great screens. follow on Twitter, by the way. Follow on Twitter. Oh, great, yeah. Great follow. Yeah. But also what I want to say, what I've heard though from some of the directors and some of the like, crew and, and staff of these films, is they're not told there's more than one screening. They have to hear about a word about and find out, oh, there's a screening tomorrow, I want to go to that. So a lot of times they don't even know there's other screenings. So it's also on TIFF to let the directors know or the talent know, you know how many times their movies are screening and when they are. And they don't have to come for the beginning, they can come for the end. They don't have to intro it, they can just let someone else into it and take your couple of hours to recover from your party the night before and show up at noon for a nine o'clock or at two for a a noon and, and uh, engage the audience. Yeah, they were not planning to actually come for that Q&A. That one was a last minute, uh, I think Cameron ran on stage with them. It was either that one or Knives Out, because for Knives Out again, Ryan Johnson came back with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, one of the younger actors as well, like, you know, just a couple of people. But yeah, like it doesn't appear that they know, but if you've been to film festivals before, you gotta have some idea, like, you're, your publicist or your people should be doing you the solid of letting you know that there's other public screenings and those are the people, yes, the big reviewers and whatever, they're seeing your film anyway at the P&I, but the people who get the good word of mouth and buzz going at the festival and the people who vote at the Toronto Film Festival, especially the people at those public screenings. So I definitely think that Tech is showing up for at least that one, if not others, helped give that movie that bump. And those premium ones are turning into corporate events now. Yeah, so it's just because they're so expensive. Yeah, a corporation buys like ten, brings their best clients. It's like those people in the first seats in a, at a Leaf game here in Toronto, yeah. or they got or, or Jerry's World at Dallas Cowboy games. Yeah, they're not the real fans. Yeah, so it's the folks that come out to the second and third screen, the public ones. They're the ones that are telling their family and friends their seat two and three times. That's the audience you want to hit. Yeah. So that's who you really should be trying to go to, to speak to, to engage. Yeah. And Taika gave like a really good long answer that you could see he was struggling not to say um, there were there were good Germans, but basically, you know, 
not an entire country of people can be bad, even if currently in a you know armed conflict they're doing a bad thing. And he wanted to you know find a way to portray that and get that across. And it was the way he answered that. You know, it was way deeper than I thought you'd get from him because, you know, it was mostly comedy, kind of, for most of the Q&A. Uh, but... Well, look at immigration today. Yeah. Who is the best towards immigration? I, I don't want to get into good Germans here, but still, though, it's, yeah. it's the Scandinavian and it's the Germanic countries are the best. Italy turned people away, Spain turned people away, the U.S. are building their wall. Yeah. One of our people that are running for election wants to cut immigration funding. Yeah. They're the ones that are taking people in yeah. more than anybody else. Yeah. So it's not, you can't say everybody's bad, everybody's good. Yeah. So yeah, the people he brought back for the Q&A were Carthew Neal, that's the name of the young actor who plays Jojo. Watch out, Jacob Trombley, this kid's coming for you, did it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Roman Griffin Davis. So... He's, I think, the producer, unless I've switched what those two people's roles are. Maybe Roman Griffith Davis is the kid. I don't even know. Like, I have their names on, like, I think, my notes. I think Roman Griffith Davis is the kid. He's, is the kid? He's yeah. English. Yeah. He was good. He was really good. Like, I was... That kid, again, is almost on the screen for every frame of the film. And you're with him, even though he's pretty horrible. He's giving sort of, like, a strong... Uh, but he changes. Malfoy energy. He, he changes and he <laughs> yeah. grows though from where he begins yeah. to the middle yeah. to where he ends. Yeah. But also a really good character I thought, a trait I thought of him, is how good he is of his best friend. Mm -hmm. Who's a type of kid that would be bullied in any situation. Oh my god, his best friend. I love that kid so much. But he's, he's, he's so adorable. nice to him, he's so yeah. happy to see him. And he's the opposite of what yeah. the Hitler, the Hitler, or the Nazi ordeal would be, right? Yeah. Glasses, dark hair, tubby. Yeah. But he's right there with him. He's my best friend. So yeah, a lot of growing there. Yeah, it was that was uh, probably um, one of the Q and As that helped give that movie the bump over Parasite. And what was the other runner up for uh, People's Choice? I don't remember. Um, was, but Knives, yeah. was Knives Out in there? Maybe there's something else that was in the runner up conversation. Because they usually do tell us when they announce it what the yeah, runners up were. I can't remember. Yeah, but I would say based on being in lineups, I would have put my money almost on Parasite, kind of sneaking away with a surprise win this year. But I think Tech is showing up uh, and doing a bit more crowd work. If and you also, will, I think helped with the bump. TIFF doesn't like movies that are featured at other festivals mm -hmm. winning their People's Choice Award or that have won awards elsewhere winning their People's Choice Award. Yeah. If something could be smaller, like a, like a Slumdog Millionaire that might have played somewhere else, but they want their world premieres. They want to be the one that discovered the to, film. Yeah, to get the big push. Yeah. That's what they're trying to do. And then this might roll a new topic about um, um, Nazis or evil people not being not so bad has been mm -hmm. the last couple of years, that trend. Um, Which with, I did not see coming. With uh, Jojo Rabbit <laughs> this year, um, last year, it was, were you talking about Green Room? Is that your? Yeah. Green Book, so Green Book last year. Yeah. And if you want to go back uh, two years ago, um, Three Billboards as well mm -hmm. is the same. Where um, uh, one of the main characters is a complete racist, but 
kind of redeems himself towards the end. Sam Rockwell, who yeah. also shows up in, uh, in JoJo. He needs to talk to his people uh, <laughs> and maybe not play a racist for a little while. Like, I get once you've found your lane and it's won you an Oscar, you might want to drive a few more miles down that road, but we're good, Sam Rockwell, because I'm starting to have uh, James Woods levels concerns about you. <laughs> But he played Bob Fosse, did he not, just recently? Yeah, yeah, Fosse yeah. Gordon, yeah. 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 So he's... Uh, but him dancing, that's not... I mean, he loves to dance. I, he's doing... I, he's great. Yeah, he's a great he's dancer. Favorite actors. But kind of three years in a row, they've kind of gone that way. Yeah. Right? Because Three Billboards, again, was main character in there, had that vibe going. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's one of the things with the People's Choice Awards this year. Uh, there is some propensity for, and I'm jumping ahead since we're already on the topic, for Toronto to pick that uh, movie that can be polarizing later on when you get to award season think pieces around, is it advocating for insert deplorable behavior here? And uh, then the conversation doesn't even become about the movie anymore, and it becomes about sort of... Uh, people's political uh, agendas on either side. Uh, as a movie, I enjoyed Jojo Rabbit. I, as a festival attendee, I've been in the audience in, you know, public screenings for more than a few of the movies that have won the People's Choice Awards over the last decade. And you do get that feel in the crowd. You can tell which ones are going to get more votes than others. And definitely leaving Jojo Rabbit, you know, just watching people sort of smiling, chit-chatting to the people they came with and strangers on the sidewalk outside that theater. It was one of those. Like, you definitely knew it was going to be a vote-getter. And, you know, not all movies want to do that. Not all movies want to make you leave feeling optimistic even about terrible shit. But the ones that somehow manage that magic trick, they tend to do better in the voting. So I don't know if that makes Toronto's audiences overly uh, idealistic, uh, but is it bad to say that our city believes that their redemption's possible? It's not bad to say that. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's good to say that. Because it also points out the other point, that just because someone's up, up high and doing really well, it doesn't mean they aren't doing bad things in the background and can fall. So if you're seeing both sides of that coin, I think that's very good. Yeah. Maybe we're just a bunch of adorable dummies here. Who knows? Yeah, don't, uh, don't depend on your idols too much. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't uh, kick people when they're down too much. Yeah. So, you know, if you have a film that's about somebody who's... Uh, horrible racist and that does a turn in the end and it's all hugs and chuckles maybe submitted to the Toronto International Film Festival you might win an award that's awesome <laughs> it, might be launched, it might be launched towards bigger and better things as well good god that's dark yeah so oh, speaking of awards uh, everybody does their kind of here were my best movies of the festival I saw a lot of that on you know, Twitter and other things after TIFF. But the more sort of uh, 
realistic conversations to have. Like, who do you think for sure is getting a nomination uh, out of this? Because the ones that people like the most and the ones that end up being fully in the conversation for award season, often there is some overlap in that Venn circle, but sometimes there isn't at all. So. Well, I will say it here mm-hmm. that Parasite will be the first time South Korea wins Best Foreign Film. I'm excited because that's one of the ones I didn't get to see. I definitely do want to see it. And I, everyone I talk to. Yeah, it's the best movie I saw. If I was doing my top five, it would have been one, two, and three in my top yeah. five. It is that good. All right. Uh, the acting, the talk about uh, social classes, just how the city set up, um, class, class-wise. And this is the same director who brought us Okja and what was the other film? Um, so the one that I like much more than Okja. It's not uh, Snowpiercer, is it? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. As well. Snowpiercer. Yeah, yeah. brought that as well. Um, but yeah, it's just it's fantastic. Acting's great. The story's great. Direction's great. Um, actually, the young kid, the young boy of the the family of parasites, the kind of grifting family. He grew up in Vancouver, so was here for a lot of the Q and A's and kind of helping translate for the rest of the rest of the cast. So that's a good little Canadian, a little Canadian in the film as well. Oh wow! All these um, kids coming for Jacob Trump with his lunch. That's great. <laughs> He's going so, to start grinding. So uh, no, it's a great film, superb, and long overdue, long overdue for South Korea. I think it could even get a Best Picture nom, even an outside Best Picture nom as well is how good that film is. That's amazing. And because it's international, that's the kind of film that may end up getting more noms at the Golden Globes. Golden Globes are weird in that they occasionally nominate things that don't end up getting noms later on. That's true. Uh, the Tourist, I'm looking at you. But uh, yeah, I feel like that, if that ends up in the Globes conversation too, then they get a good run at early uh, goodwill. And if you get an adorable kid up on stage, uh, as we all remember from Slumdog and some other films, uh, that always helps in award season because you get, you get a lot of press off adorable kids on the red carpet being uh, charming and articulate. Um, actor, mm-hmm. of course, Joaquin Phoenix. Most acting. In, uh, in The Joker. It's kind of a lot. But yeah. just because I, I saw it a second time in IMAX here in Toronto. And just some of the stuff I didn't see before. There's a scene he's on the couch and he's kind of leaning back and moving his chest up and down. Yes, and all you're seeing is his ribs pointed and sticking out. It's just, it's incredible stuff. Although, congratulating a male actor for losing a ton of weight while 90% of Hollywood actresses are probably some of the hungriest people on earth next to people in the third world is still kind of baffling to me. It's that whole Ginger Rogers did it backwards in my head, kind of like, oh, a man lost a lot of weight. And I imagine a lot of female actresses out there just laughing uproariously at the amount of praise he's getting for starving himself. I, I just thought he did a very good job. <laughs> yeah. And also, the, he just, he was so into the character. I think, because I heard that Jack Nicholson um, gave Heath Ledger a call before he took the Joker role on and saying how it's going to be all-encompassing and like Jack's done everything, right? Mm-hmm. And it's gonna just it's gonna swallow you whole. Yeah. And the warnings he got, and you saw his version of it, and you thought, okay, well, you can't do anything. It's done. Like, yeah. Drop the mic. It's done. Yeah. 
and then we'll, we'll keep Jared Little aside. But um, also want... doing the most acting, but uh, in a very different film. Right. <laughs> but um, no, Joaquin made it its own. God, he's excellent in role. Excellent in role. Okay. So like that is acting and um, cinematography. Did you see Portrait of a Lady on Fire? No. No. Go see that. Okay. The cinematography in that is incredible. All right. Very good story. Um, two women in love told by a woman as opposed by a man. So it's done a lot differently. It's not graphic. It's more what happens after, right? It's not the actual one hand goes here, my face is going there. Mm -hmm. It's the time they spend after they've done all that in bed together, getting to know each other better is kind of where the focus is. I love this. Yes, it's excellent movie, but the cinematography in that film is incredible. Okay. The windblown shots, uh, the, the colors, the blue of the water, the brown of the ground, all this. Her painting, um, incredible film. All right. Uh, for me, I'm with you on the Joker for Joaquin, but I'm also going to say they might pick one up for cinematography because even people who I know didn't like it acknowledged like it looked good. Hmm. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, for my three picks, though, I'm going to say um, Academy seems to love Natalie Portman. I mean, I loved her since uh, Lamb, the professional. Mm -hmm. So even though there wasn't much chatter about Lucy in the Sky coming out of the festival, oh, I hear that's awful. I feel like she might still somehow get one for it because it's that kind of movie that almost no one sees, but then an actress like her who's been nominated multiple times might still get a nomination for it. like not. I want to compare it to Jackie, but similar in that not a lot of people saw Jackie. That movie didn't pull down like a ton of money. No. But she still got a nomination for it. I think she did. I think she did. I don't think she did. I don't know. Let's check. Uh, but yeah, I think that she still might get one for Lucy in the Sky just because, again, she's uh, the lead. She's on the screen for almost the entire movie. I liked it a lot more than uh, other people that I've talked to, uh, but I get why it probably didn't hang together for a lot of people either. Definitely, it's the kind of movie... Uh, when you leave it, you definitely feel some type of way. <laughs> I think I'm kind of astronaut movied out though. Yeah. Which is why I didn't see it. We were talking about before we came in about the new Brad Pitt movie. I have no interest in seeing that. I think I'm kind of astronaut going to space out for a while. Yeah, so she was nominated for Supporting Actress for Closer, uh, Best Actress for Black Swan, which she won, and Best Actress for Jackie. Okay. Yeah. Didn't but again, see, you didn't even remember. Oh. I, I feel like if she does get nominated, it's going to be one of those. Like, they like her. They seem to like her. Okay. She doesn't make much of a fuss, seems to, like, stick to good PR talking points, is charming on, you know, the talk shows, people book her. Like, it, she's an easy person to market. I'm like, <laughs> I'm looking at you, Todd Phillips. You're going to be a real challenge for that PR publicity team this award season as uh, they try to roll out a campaign for Joker. So I'm going to say Natalie Portman just based on marketability and uh, the Academy seems to like nominating her. And they like having stars at the show too. So there's That's that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, you need someone interviewing. Yeah. 
So even if she Ryan Seacrest has to talk to someone yeah. on the red carpet. So even if she doesn't get uh, you know Oscar nomination, I you know dollars to donuts as as long as that movie is coming up before uh, the cutoff for award season, I would say it is because she'll be getting a Golden Globe. I got an invite to the uh, press screening for okay. it here, so it's coming up pretty soon. And then uh, another one that could go either way, and it could end up in a cancel out situation. I'm gonna say Hopkins or Price for two popes. One Academy loves giving like really old white guys a, an extra nom as they approach uh, the end of end of life. Uh, because it's a Netflix now, that is where it gets a little tricky. And I think that bear was broken last year with Roma though. Yeah, Roma it, got a ton of love last year. Yeah, I mean right now there is a bit of you know German strong between you know, old guard and new guard with Netflix movies, but nobody's ever going to say, I don't want to nominate Anthony Hopkins for Academy Award. John the Price is great in this too. Like, they're both great. It's real two-hander. So could it be that they cancel each other out if they amount a campaign? Or they could decide, you know, let's get all in on one of these guys, whoever we think. I um, think it'll be Price. Yeah. Because Hopkins already has one. Yeah. And Price has more to do in this. Yeah. Um, and he speaks, what, four languages in this movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's great in it. He's so yeah. good. He's so and, charming. And he's kind of the down-to-earth guy going for pizza and all this type of stuff with the locals and hanging out and doing sorts of things. I'm just even thinking of the clips that they could use for his character for the award show. Like, that would be great. It's, he's adorable at it. And then, <laughs> there's a, I, must, I think I saw it on Twitter or Facebook or somewhere, um, about how he, he backs up Glenn Close in the movie that she was in last year. And she got shut out at Oscar time. Yeah. Now he's going to get a shot and he could win his Oscar. Yeah. So. That could happen. Yeah. So that would be very ironic if that, were, if that were to take place. I mean. And he's been around forever, just bubbling under the surface of being great. And uh, if he could sneak through and win, I, I wouldn't have any issues with that at all. Very good actor. Um, just from his work on Game of Thrones, right? He was scaring people to death on that show. You know, High Sparrow? Oh my God. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, there'd be way more people who know who he is now than before uh, he was on Game of Thrones. And Bond for, villain, the whole shooting match. Yeah, for his awards, too. I don't think he's ever been nominated for an Oscar. A bunch of, like, British stuff. Uh, but, uh, and film, and uh, theater. Uh, Tony Awards and Olivier Award uh, wins and nominations. But no uh, Oscars. So, it'd be, it's a great story. Like the first time, like I watched a lot of movies. Yeah. And the first time I really noticed him was when he was the Bond villain, Tomorrow Never Dies. Like, who yeah. is this guy? Then did a bit of backstory on him to get some more info. Yeah, no. And that was pretty late in his career. Yeah, and he's been out in these streets forever. So, yeah, that would be great. That's a good, it's a good fun story for the PR team to kind of, you know, spool up nomination crown. Yeah. So. He's playing Pope Francis for God's sake. Yeah. Like, everyone's favorite Pope. My well, favorite Pope now. I love that well, movie thinking. Well, it was John Paul for a while there. Yeah. For John a, Paul II. Eh, but, eh, yeah. I mean, he was like the world's favorite, but for me personally, I'm, I'm all about, all about Jorge. Which is yes. wildly sacrilegious. Apologies to any Catholics that are listening. But I did leave that or movie. Catholics that are participating in this yeah. thing. For a hot second, I left that movie thinking, maybe people have been too rough on the Catholic Church. <laughs> So that movie does a real magic act. But but another bad trend. I saw another movie about this too. 
and that was more set during the Spanish Civil War. Yeah. But the fact about how fast the church jumps in bed at the fascists, though. Yeah. They're right. They're the first ones into the door. Um, it plays out in in um, the two popes. Yeah. And put on that movie I saw about the Spanish Civil War, which we're trying to quickly find the time. Uh, while at war, mm-hmm. during the Spanish Civil War, same type of deal. Um, how fast the church jumped in back Franco. Yeah. You know, like they love their dictators, the church, you know? You're going to keep us not paying any taxes? Yeah. We're right behind you, goose stepping. Yeah. So, a little no, scary. Scary, a bit of a bummer. Uh, but overall, uh, those two dudes in that movie, I'd say either one of them you could mount an awards campaign and roll it out. So uh, I wouldn't be fussed if I saw both of them because I think they'd be fun together, you know, in right. uh, those the circuit. and stuff. Doing doing the circuit. Circuit, but yeah. I'll probably go for one of them. And I don't even know uh, how busy they are and or what state they are because the director and the actor who played the young Jorge were there for my Q&A, but they did mention that one of them was booked and busy and the other one had back problems and couldn't make it here. So who knows if those guys would even want to deal with the mishigas of like an award season campaign. It's well, Jonathan Price, but he hasn't won yet. Yeah, he might. But um, that director though, uh, Fernando Mireles? Yeah. He uh, did City of God, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. And which I wrote about for another uh, site as um, one of the best movies of the 2000s. This is such a good movie. And he's not really done much since then. No. I'd love and it then, if he was no, nominated. No, hits with this, so. Yeah, at least, or if the movie was even nominated, it would probably, if it got a Golden Globe knob, be in the, the comedy category. Because it's funny as hell. Right. And they have that extra space in the Golden Globes as well, because they do the comedy or musical, right. and they do, like, the other dramatic. It'd probably be on the comedy or musical side. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe he could get one, too, for that but yeah, that one, I'd say that's coming to Netflix, listeners, so you, y'all can just see it. A lot's coming to Netflix. Yeah. Um, we talked about Atlantix, that's coming to Netflix, a bunch of them. The Dolomite, we've mentioned, that's yeah. coming to Netflix. The Driver one, one of the Driver ones, or both of them. Laundromat's coming to Netflix. Yeah. A lot of them are coming to Netflix. But yeah. don't go see Laundromat, that's not very good. <laughs> uh, movie that you've thought about the most since the festival. Well, again, it's Joker, I'd say. Yeah. I've seen it twice. Um, the topics keep coming up. Um, maybe Parasite a bit, but Joker has just been dominant. Yeah. Maybe come November that might change, but since Joker's not as a big splash, setting records, Joaquin Phoenix is everywhere. There's all the comparisons of him and Heath Ledger. I saw one the other day of them both in a car leading up to, like, uh, yeah. Heath out the window, yeah. like doing the hair thing, and him and Joaquin Luna against the window. Yeah, like it's just it's everywhere. It's all encompassing. It's ubiquitous. Yeah, uh, I'd say for me the the movie that I've thought about the most that I didn't actually see at the festival, but I saw it right after the festival was over was Hustlers. I went to see that. I, I called my honorary thirty second film. I saw it Sunday before we had our uh, meet up that night with the other nerds and loved it. I went to see it again with a friend, so I've seen that oh, wow. twice after Holy the cow. festival. It is just, well, you know, it markets itself, but that, that J-Lo intro dance, which you think that you've seen most of it in the trailers, you have not. It's really something to behold. It's amazing. and. But the performances. Okay, how does and it compare? It being it's it's about female friendship, 
and it does a great job of telling the story of not all friendships are the same and they change over time. Sometimes they're forced to, uh, but how uh, women deal with when you know your job and your life gets in the way of your friendship, it's, it's really fantastic. How does that intro dance compare to Rosie Perez in Do the Right Thing? I mean... Because I haven't seen Hustlers. I mean, Do the Right Thing kicks off with that. So it's a little different in that you have a bit of uh, establishing stuff. It's not like the very first scene in the okay. movie, but it's very, very early. But uh, I might say it, it could be even this generation's version of that. Hmm. But she also, because there's a little bit of build, you get like some character moments, you get, um, you're watching it really from the POV of uh, Constance Wu's character. Okay. So the... It, and other people talked about this in articles. So you're not watching it from sort of the uh, pervert's row ca camera angle. Or if you've ever sat in pervert's row at the ballet listener, you know what that looks like from that angle. It, it's, so it's eyes up. It's an angle for like optimal seeing of uh, the body's uh, action spots. But if, if you were standing slightly back from the stage, A, it's just a slightly more respectful camera angle, but it's, it gives you a different POV of the performance and it really, you're appreciating more of the artistry of like the dance of the performance and you're also seeing other people's reactions to the JLo character. It's just, you're seeing how she's controlling the room with her body basically. And it's a miraculous sight to pull up. It's beautiful. Both times I saw it, I applauded. And I was not in tip audiences so that's not something that normal people do in normal movies most of the time, especially you know, mid first act of a film. Mm. Yeah, it's that good. But just in general, the whole story, I loved it. I enjoyed it. Like all of those actors, I mean, it really is a Constance Wu, J-Lo, two-hander. You know, the marketing of that movie has sort of played up. You know, you got Lizzo, Cardi B, all these other people. Most of the other actresses, uh, they aren't on screen that much. Kiki Palmer and Lily Reinhardt get the most amount of kind of screen time, I would say, next to Constance Wu and J-Lo. Uh, but it is, it just feels like a very kind of safe space for these women to have conversations that uh, the men in their lives, whether they are the people who work front of house at the strip club or their partners, would just never be privy to. So it really gives you uh, a sort of view behind the spangly uh, beaded curtain, if you will. Yeah, it's good times, great music, soundtracks, slaps. It's fantastic. And it's this great mix of kind of popular music that would be um, fun songs to play at the ballet and um, uh, Chopin etudes for some of the more character conversation moments. Okay. Yeah, Julia Stiles as the reporter who's taking the interviews has some great kind of gifable reaction face shots as you see like we cut between um, seeing the past and then them recounting the past to her so yeah it's great stuff all along Julia Stiles is very underused very underused yeah she Every has time like series something she's great yeah like, you like, why isn't she in more stuff she has one reaction shot in this movie that both times I saw it the entire audience chuckled okay and it's she's literally just the camera's just cutting back to her face in reaction to a story that they're telling. 
she doesn't say anything. It's just for a couple seconds, and I'm like picturing it now and laughing. It's just so good. Yeah, so the movie I thought about the most is one I didn't even see at the festival because it came out that same week as Hustlers. Right, and that's yeah. one of my rules. I don't see anything that comes out during the festival, yeah. and I try not to see anything that comes out that's coming out in September. I try and avoid that, and I, I had a rule about no Netflix stuff, but some stuff is so good you have to see it. Like, I had to see Two Popes. Yeah. Um, I had to see Marriage Story, which I haven't talked about, which is my number two from the festival. Like, yeah. That was Netflix, but I had to go see that because the performances are great in that as well, and the story's great, and love Noah and all that, so I had to go see that as well. But mm. um, try to keep my Netflix stuff down a little bit, because yeah. I'm on the Netflix anyways. Although, it, there is that kind of solitary thing of watching something alone at home on the couch on Netflix versus watching it with a, a full theater. And not that I'm agreeing with you, Mr. Spielberg, but mm. I do think there is something about that theatrical experience. That is true. Yeah. That is true. But again, if I'm gonna pick, if I'm gonna pick something in a slot, absolutely, I'm gonna pass on a Netflix thing that I know that's coming. Yeah. But then again, I went and saw Roma again at Lightbox when it came out. Yeah. So, for the sound, mm -hmm. so I'll probably do something like that again. I would expect, as well. And. One thing that TIFF does that not a lot of people talk about or I see talking about is uh, their, their rising stars list. So the run up to the festival, they publish this list of uh, young talent and often just because of the way they program things, um, some of these actors are in multiple films at the festival. And this year, uh, one woman from that list really popped for me. Uh, Geraldine Vishwanathan, uh, most people would have only seen her in Blockers. Uh, she was the daughter of the John Cena character. I haven't seen that. Uh, so that's kind of like the more popular fair thing that she's been in. So uh, her character in that is great, but uh, she was in Hala and Bad Education uh, that both played a tiff. I saw both of those movies at the festival very different characters in both fantastic like could not look away from her whenever she's on screen just really uh pulse focus all of those like lines that you can really use you can really see something going on behind the eyes yada 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 just she's good stuff she's good stuff like watching her i'm putting her in my is this kid gonna be my next juno temple in that there was a run of time for years where if I saw a movie was coming to TIFF and it had Juno Temple in it, I literally did not even read the praise I'd just be like, sold. Mm. Because it would just be something about the kind of films that uh, she did when she was younger. Yeah. I was like, it's going to be a good time. And even if the whole movie itself isn't great, I'm going to enjoy watching her in it. But in the case of both the Hollow and Bad Education, I enjoyed both of them. She had a much smaller part in Bad Education, where that was led by Hugh Jackman's character with uh, quite a bit of, why can't I remember her name now? CJ Craig from The West Wing. You may know her as the mom from I, Tonya. And I can't remember that actress's name right now. It'll come to me in a second. Uh, and listener, you're probably screaming the name right now, so enjoy the fact that you're right and I'm forgetful and hungover. But in Hala, she's the lead character. She's Hala. And she is fantastic in that place, you know, young uh, Muslim woman who's sort of like struggling with 
what she wants to do and uh, what her family wants her to do and how they want her to act and she's you know it, she's beautiful one thing you know it always helps when somebody looks good but in addition to that just the way you see her with her friends and with her family it's a very nuanced performance and sort of that thing that happens for a lot of teenage girls when you switch from being a daddy's girl to understanding that um, your dad is uh, fallible and watching that turn and how she uh, then turns in her relationship with her mother who I'm sure for a lot of parents people are human that the way they portray that kind of almost jealousy of the relationship with the father by the mother it's all great stuff great stuff She's fantastic in it. Uh, so from the Rising Stars list, was there anybody that really popped for you? Yeah. I know we were talking about uh, Calvin Harrison Jr. before. Yes, we were. So yeah. he was in Waves and uh, very good in that. Very intense, a tense, char tense character he plays. Um, starts out um, all-American, high school kid, uh, wrestling star. Then starts to have some physical issues with his wrestling. Um, gets on pills, which is a whole different story. And that affects his relationship with his girlfriend and things begin to spiral out of control. And there's also another movie this year called Loose with a completely different performance where he's adopted and a lot quieter, but again, there's violence in the background there. And uh, he plays that kind of quiet, violent person very well. Uh, so he was a, a big breakout. And there's also Ricardo Darien's kid was in something I saw, Rope Losers. Um, Chino. Chino. Yeah. And uh, he was really good as well. Um, kind of got a role of doing some reconnaissance for the group as they're trying to get back at um, some bankers. And uh, was excellent his role. Um, would take on his dad, which is also what... Um, was done in, in ways as well, like stand up to his dad and, and let them know that what they're saying isn't necessarily correct. So speaking to power, speaking to the generation before, they both have those qualities. I can see them both doing a lot more in the future. And another, I'm going to say honorary mention to Shamir Anderson, who I, was in Endings Beginnings which is another one of those movies that I enjoyed, but not for everyone. Didn't see that one. It's the Drake Dormus and a lot of the, so the storyline was outlined, but then a lot of the actual things that they did were uh, improv, like the dialogue of okay. the film. Uh, but yeah, he was great in that. And that whole cast was actually quite good. Uh, the Endings Beginnings cast. And I, you know, I picked it because of the premise was basically, you know, the characters choosing between Sebastian Stan and God, who's the other actor in Endings Beginnings? Didn't see that one. But basically, of, yeah. A lot of talk about that one. Though. Shailene Woodley choosing between two ridiculously hot guys, see, Sebastian like Stan and Jamie Dornan, and I ended up liking it a lot more than I thought I would. I don't like her. I don't. Yeah. Think I've seen one movie she's been in. Just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, that that whatever teenage girl show that she started on, got her start on, um, that show was super painful to watch. Uh, something about the way, and I've seen almost all of those actors in other things, so I really feel like it's the way they were directed. 
it's the same team that was behind, I believe, Seventh Heaven or whatever. Okay. Just the way they were directed, it was very stilted. Mm. Just very stilted sort of choices that they made with regards to the way conversations between humans happened. It was almost robotic and sometimes when you would watch any episode of that show. And I didn't watch the whole thing, I watched a few because you know, I, I do love trash. Um, but yeah, that was trash that even I couldn't get into and it was really the way they were acting. And when I see these actors and other things, I realize, oh, that's not you. It's very much that whole, if we go back to Homegirl Natalie Portman, uh, when the Star Wars prequels came out, uh, and apologies if those are your favorite films ever, but I did feel Said like... no one. <laughs> I don't think anyone thinks those are their favorite movies. Oh my. But if they are, um, Definitely, there was a whole lot of suspension of disbelief challenges with the romance between uh, Natalie Portman's character and uh, the young Anakin, where if that was the first time a lot of people saw her, I would be more concerned about her career. And definitely, one could argue that the actor who played young Anakin, both the actors who played young Anakin, didn't fare as well career-wise after that film. She recovered, but I think she recovered because all the great shit she did before. Right. Like, you would watch, if you watched her in that first before ever seeing, uh, you know, Beautiful Girls or The Professional, you might not know that she could act. Right. Well, he, well, he was the first kid, I forget his name, but he was like six, wasn't he? He was like yeah. six or seven. And then Hayden. But, um, no, Hayden was in another movie I saw was pretty good. Like, This is a House or To Build a House. Yeah, was that Life tip? is a House. Life is a House. That yeah. was a tip a few years yeah. later. That's pretty good. But other than that, I haven't seen him much. Yeah. He was in a ta- little Italian movie that was actually shot in Toronto last year. Played a bit of a circuit. Like, like not, a secondary kind of circuit. But not, not all actors can overcome writing and direction. Um, some actors overcome it to a degree that... Uh, it almost hides any of the faults of the film. Joker, uh, then. <laughs> but for the most part, if you know the writing and the direction is iffy, you're gonna end up with some real dodgy performances. But that's true. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, gonna be an interesting award season because right now, I don't think there's any straight up locks. Then maybe you know Tom Hanks when the Mr. Rogers joint comes out, which we didn't even talk about, I didn't even see, but I kind of didn't even want to mention it, because it's like, yes, of course he's the most likable guy, playing the most likable guy, is going to get a nomination for a major award, but uh, aside from something for Joker, I think this award season, it's still, it's a bit amorphous. It's still wide open. A lot of stuff's coming out. Um, Little Women isn't even playing anywhere. Yeah. It's only going to show up at Christmas Day in theaters. It's skipping everything beyond. Um, I saw a lot of people going crazy about The Irishman in New York when it played at the New York Film Festival. All right. People saying how great that was. It's coming to Lightbox here in Toronto in a couple of weeks, so I'll yeah. be there to see that. Yeah, the movie of Short Kings. Yes. Yeah. That should be uh, one to see. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, so overall, uh, another great festival. Like, overall, I saw a lot of really good movies. I still haven't fully uh, reconciled with the fact that there's no Jane Chodel. 
apparently she was attending even a few films during the festival. Colin Geddes told me that he saw her. I did not. Okay. It's probably better for everyone because I would have done something uh, non-consensual. Probably a hug. Who knows if not more. I don't know. So, uh, Jane, if you ever listen to this, I, I still love you. I think about you far too often considering you're basically a stranger who picks movies uh, for a film festival that you don't work for anymore. So... Yeah, that's a bummer. Uh, but this year, after I went back through things that I liked, I realized, uh, looks like Michael Lerman. I mean, again, no Jane, no replacement, but he might be one of the programmers that tends to pick a wide range of things that I enjoy all of them. So uh, he programmed, I believe, uh, Waves, Blow the Man Down, Knives Out, Two Popes, and Guns Akimbo. And in terms of like subject matter, you know, size, scope, uh, everything from like sound to whatever, a lot of difference in yep. there. And again, that was one of the things I loved about Jane that the one thing that was consistent about the things that she picked was always story. For all those movies, whether or not you like the whole entire film, there was a cohesive story that the creators are trying to get across that you would watch it even without let's say all of the shenanigans of the guns akimbo or um, maybe some of the arguably almost um, over-the-top farce of the knives out but the story itself and sort of these people were interesting to kind of watch and hang out with for a couple hours so that's that may be my new home person, Michael Lerman, I'm not sure. I'm gonna start stalking you on social media and trying to learn more about you. And um, So if you have a low level feeling of dread and or being watched that I'm sure Jane Scholl did the entire time she worked for the film festival because I mean, that's why. Welcome. Do what she's doing now? Uh, I don't know what she's doing now. I don't want to do more research than I've already done. Okay. I feel like it's time to let her go. I see. Well, on my side, I've always been a big uh, Deanna Sanchez Sanchez fan. Yeah. Um, I like her tape. Like she programs. She programs, of course, a lot of Spanish stuff. But she programs like even um, um, Nordic stuff as well. She's all over the place. Yeah. And makes a lot of really good picks. So she's been my favorite for years. Um, I think when I first started coming to the festival, one of the first movies I saw, speaking of the Darrens again, was Nine Queens. Okay. And that's something she, she programmed like back in 2002 or whatever it was. And she's just slowly risen and risen and risen and is one of the top senior programmers there now. So okay. um, if, if I'm defaulting between two and I see one's a Deanna Sanchez pick, I'm leaning towards that all the time. So uh, yeah, she'd be my favorite programmer. I definitely saw at least a couple, and I can't think of them now off the, off the dome that she programmed that I enjoyed very much. By the way, that actress I was trying to remember earlier listener is Allison Janney. Uh, it's weird the holes that the vodka can punch through your memory, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Allison Jay is also a bad education. But yes, back to Deanna Sanchez. Uh, yeah, she's been my favorite for years. So which ones did she do this year that you liked? Can you uh, remember any of them? Or I'm trying to see on the site if you can still go by programmer. Not offhand. Uh, Again, I did a lot of press stuff, so I wasn't doing a lot of flipping through the books, but yeah. Well, she did Heroic Losers, of course. Yeah. That's one she did. I'm just kind of flipping through my list here. I know that she programmed one of mine. 
She did Three Summers, which was a real one I liked a lot as well. Um, about three summers in a row in a resort and followed this kind of middle-aged woman that was kind of the head of all the, uh, the housekeepers. And she worked for the main family. The head of the main family got into financial difficulty and she had to kind of step in and keep the family together. So she did that one, that was really good, her about three summers, so a bunch of stuff she does. Maybe. Like yeah, she did Baccarat. So yeah, Tiana yeah. Sanchez also programmed Baccarat, which was one of the films that I definitely really, really enjoyed going into it. But yeah, she's she's been around for a while too. And, uh, and she did Portrait of Lady in Fire as well. Oh. Yeah, she's, she's all over the place. All right, so she's she's hitting some bangers. Oh yeah, she's, she's excellent. All right. I, I know we already talked about sort of things about the festival that changed or that we'd like, but do you have any other notes for them if they're listening yeah they, um, they have occasionally in the past something i was skeptical of yeah was the move from not having a central kind of box office uh-huh. they normally had it at the uh the uh city hall yeah metro hall metro hall yeah they moved away from it this year and kind of spread it out and changed it so you can go to any box office any theater and get movies for any movie in the in the whole festival but before if you didn't go to the central spot or the light box, if you went to say Scotiabank, you could only get films from Scotiabank, which made no sense. You're printing the tickets anyways. Yeah. So there was a few times where things have popped up, like that crazy world. Mm-hmm. I wasn't planning to see, but met a few folks in the movie I was at before, said so they were going. A lot of people loved it. Right. So I said, I'll, I'll duck down and get a ticket. Went down to the Scotiabank mm-hmm. and got a ticket for the Midnight the Ryerson right there. Awesome. Where I have to, like, as I was waiting for my movie to start, right? I would have left, gone out, gone yeah. down here. So. That's a change I wasn't too crazy about that I liked a lot. And I don't think it was that clear that you could get tickets for any movie because probably people like me remember the old days where the venue box office was only for movies at that theater. Exactly. So I wasn't even aware that you could get movies for any yes. screening at the different venue box offices this year. Yeah. Any- Except I thought it was only at the TIFF box office that you could. No, so, it was anywhere. So I guess the one thing that I, I would say I don't like is definitely that they still suck at communicating how changes work. That's true. Much like this one. So a good change true. was communicated poorly. And I even saw some people on social media as the festival was starting saying that they didn't know that they weren't going to have the box office at Metro Hall this right. year. So they need to be more proactive when they change something that big that's gone on for multiple years. And I know it almost they're almost like afraid to announce it because they know people are going to complain anyway. But then you get the the frustration of not telling people right. and not making it clear how things are actually more efficient in some ways. And then also when that first started, that change first started, I went to multiple venues, random box office at Bell Lightbox, Scotiabank, saying, so what time is online gonna start? Because if online starts at seven and these places are opening at eight, we're at a major disadvantage. We're trying to get same day ticket. Yeah. Oh, then nobody knew until the day of, even partway into the Part way into that first Thursday. No, everything's starting at 8. Okay, that's fine then. Yeah. If we're all equal, that's fine. But they can't be on at 7, getting all, grabbing up all the same-day tickets when you have to wait to get to, a, get to a counter at 8. So that was not communicated that well. But um, it worked out very well, though. That's great. Yeah, I like, I like that. That turned out to be a positive change. So, Tiff, if you're listening, just any changes, major changes, or things that you think are small, uh, or things like not having the magazine or the list of movies available to anyone but press industry people as I look covetous, 
covetously at the list that you have <laughs> as a P&I person uh, that you think people complain about, just tell people before, because they're gonna complain anyway, but tell them what the alternative is. Like that's what's really missing is, I understand you're not deliberately trying to make people's lives more difficult and often there's another way to get, you know, either information or ticket or do something or change something. Um, it's not that you don't think about these things, it's just even harder sometimes in the panic, in the run up, because there's usually only a couple days when you find out what's changed this year before um, finding out about it and the festival starting. Just tell people. And another point I would say, I, I've talked to people who are involved with the bandwidth and all that type of stuff. But whatever bandwidth you think you need, do four times the bandwidth. Because it, the site crashes all the time. Like we just tried to pull up now, it's still crashing. I'm not sure, I'm not sure why it's still crashing, take it so long. Or just so slow. Like it's or being really, so slow. It's really slow. Like people need to get in and pick their movies and they panic, they lose their minds yeah. when they try and get in and, they, and things are repeating. And then I've had people say they've got all the way through the checkout and that's when it drops them. Mm -hmm. So they've picked all their films, they're about to, they're about to do the checkout and then it drops them there, they come back and go over again. I guess that happened to me last year. I guess imagine how frustrating that would be. Like yeah. I don't have those issues, but I know a lot of people who do and who tell me about this. I wear so. my brown pants on selection day every year now. <laughs> Pat but, takes a Deadpool for that joke. But uh, it's quadruple your bandwidth. Whatever yeah. you think, quadruple it. Yeah. Your emotional bandwidth as an attendee and the site's bandwidth uh, from an infrastructure perspective both need to be increased until and unless they sort it out. So yeah, this year I'd say day one for the site. Um, if you're going to have a major change, like not having that easy at a glance magazine be free for everyone to see the schedule, you should damn well make sure that the site's working on that first day or be ready for people to kick up a fuss. And it lowers trust. So for next year, I can imagine people be even more kind of preemptively uh, snarky about what it's going to be like on uh, program release day. And also, the, I've heard a lot of people who were just doing public screenings complaining about the bags. Yeah. The fact there are no bags. No tote bag. No Pizza Nova coupon. So nothing. Where's, so Where's my Pizza Nova like, coupon? Like again, on my end, I got a lot of stuff still. Yeah. But, you know, if, if, someone is, if someone is buying 30 or 40 tickets. And paying 50 for the program. And book. buying the book. Maybe yeah. you ought to give them a bag. Yeah. Just, just a thought. Give them a bag. If they're, if they're buying 20 and that's it, okay, maybe. But if you're buying 30 or more and you're getting the book, like give them a little bit of swag. Just yeah. a tiny bit of swag. That's all they want. And it's all promotional stuff anyway. People pay to put things in that bag. It's all sponsored. Yeah, sponsored. And also it's promotion for Lightbox and for Tip. I see yeah. people with their bags everywhere. Yeah. Like people with their bags from two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, so it, all I, around the city. I don't know if it's that they couldn't get a sponsor for the tote bag this year or they just wanted to use that money for other things because they're hurting for cash right now. Because I don't even think they paid for the bag itself. I know one year it had like a big Timbaland thing up the side. Like the bag itself is a piece of promotional right. material. Whoever is handling sponsorships or whatever, can we get a motherfucking bag again? Like I'm, now I'm irate again. I thought I had gotten over this, but I'm like, I'm still fussed. But I think maybe it might've been part of, we're not doing the program. We're not giving them the, the, uh, the insert, yeah. the guide, there's and no they, guide. And they claim like the environment, whatever, eye roll, even Greta wouldn't fall for that. 
But the bag itself is a reusable carry bag. If anything, that it's is... It's canvas or something. Yeah. Environmentalists love that shit. Use it for your groceries and stuff afterwards. Right. I still use my tote bags all the time to, you know, haul stuff around. They're usually pretty good. I've only ever had one year the bag, the straps went. And it was definitely like a, a shittier quality bag that year. Because they make it sometimes out of uh, canvas. Sometimes it's like more like the kind of waxy kind of material. But those bags last. And they're great I still, advertising. I still have my Ray bag. Yeah. From when Ray was out. Yeah. This is the best bag they ever did, by the way. Zippers and pockets and stuff on the mm -hmm. side. 2004, I want to say that one was, the Ray year. Yeah. I still have my bag from that year. Yeah. Yeah. So secure the bag, Tiff. Yeah. Secure the bag. Quadruple <laughs> your bandwidth. Yeah. And I think that's it. All right. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Everybody else has their, you know, top list, this, that, whatever. I don't really kind of solidify on that. Because it's very amorphous for me, even sort of during and after the festival, my thoughts on things change. It's why I like to wait uh, almost a month after the festival to do my wrap up. That and I'm a lazy procrastinator who day drinks. So, uh, <laughs> but I know you have a lot of top movies that you've talked about. So if you did want to share, yeah, my uh... and again, Norm uh, goes P and I sees fifty movies. So. His list may encompass things that you would never ever discover on your own, or things that you're going to be hearing a lot about. But well, uh, the first I'd say is go see uh, *Parasite*, and the yeah. minute it's over, go see it again. I'll, yeah. I'll start with that. Um, let me see here. So what else did I like about? I mentioned briefly *Marriage Story*. Yeah. Excellent film. Um, that's coming to Netflix. So mm -hmm. if you want to wait, you can wait for Netflix. That was unanimous sort of word on the street about that, and that was positive. Uh, we talked about um, *Sound of Metal*. Uh, that's another one I really liked a lot. Um, Adam, a small little movie in Casablanca about two women, um, one pregnant on the street, the other that brings her in has a small little pastry shop, mm -hmm. um, and that actress, um, Labina Asbau, uh, might be someone to look at for possible award talk, even though it's in a foreign language. And then Portrait of Lady on Fire, is, I'll add into that as well, which I said is excellent for cinematography. Another Deanna Sanchez pick, who I said is one of my, my favorite uh, uh, person to pick movies. And um, Anna at 13,000 Feet, a Canadian movie. A bit about on the border, maybe on the spectrum of mental health issues she has. Uh, she works at a daycare, um, is not very good at boundaries. Uh, has emotional outbursts, crying outbursts, but the kids love her. Mm -hmm. So she gets away with some things that others are by the book don't like. Um, gets a little too needy of her boyfriend, but uh, very good film. Waves we mentioned. Um, Atlantique we mentioned, it was good. Two Popes is in there as well. Um, did you see the platform at all? I saw Rocks. Okay, you didn't, you didn't see the oh, platform. Oh, I saw, oh, I thought you were talking about the platform program. <laughs> oh, no, sorry, no, no, sorry, sorry. Yeah, the platform. The platform no, I didn't film. see the platform. That um, was Midnight Madness. Midnight Madness yeah. movie. That was really good. And also Vast of Night, another Midnight Madness movie was very good. Yeah. So a lot of good Midnight Madness this year as well. Those are kind of my top dozen, I'll say, that I'll touch on. Uh, for one that I didn't get to talk about that was probably a runner-up for a lot of the things I talked about, uh, Blow the Man Down. I really, really That's one I couldn't enjoyed. fit in. I was yeah. looking at that, tried four or five times to fit in and could not make that fit. And that is uh, directed by Bridget Savage Cole and Danielle Crudy. Uh, two sisters in a small Maine fishing village try to cover up a violent crime and avoid 
running foul of suspicious and threatening proprietor of the local brothel, which is played by Margot Martindale. Uh, and it was fantastic. You got a uh, fisherman acting as a Greek chorus, introducing sort of uh, act breaks with sea shanties. You have kind of that washed out color palette that you get from your East Coast movies. It could have been shot here, it could have been shot in Scandinavia, but it's, you know, East Coast Maine, but it's sort of that, you know, grays and blues and uh, people in very kind of... Was that Canadian? It wasn't Canadian, but it almost felt Canadian because it was so East Coasty. So like, it's a, very like a Maine, Rhode Island, Island kind of feel? Yeah, okay. but not like cute Maine, Rhode Island, like okay. more uh, small town that sort of, you know, maybe there's not a lot of jobs, there's not a lot going on, uh, not a lot of young people. Like small fishing community. Yeah, small fishing community. With, a, with a people going boats for days, you yeah. don't see them. Okay. But yeah, just uh, most of the lead roles were uh, female and just great performances all around. Like June Squid plays uh, one of the sort of leaders of the moral majority, the sort of squad of older ladies in town that she are is judging excellent. Uh, the Mar Mar Another Mar person character. you could go with whatever script she's in. If she picks up a script to be in a movie, it's going to be a good movie. Yeah. She's in tons of good movies. Yeah, it was great. So that's that was a good time. That was an Amazon produced oh. film. So that may end up on Amazon. It may be in, I don't know what the release plan for it is, but uh, that's the kind of movie that people may be able to see eventually on Amazon because they were uh, listed as the production for that, so production distribution, yeah. Yeah, but fantastic, amazing, like really, really love that movie and have thought about it a lot since, but it was definitely sort of like runner-up for a lot of my categories for our talk today. So if you can see it, pull the man down. Uh, the title may make you think it's uh, dirtier than it is. It is not at all, but uh, it's, still a, it's still a good time. Heard a lot of good things. Well, I'll mention one more. Um, the Bull Movie, um, Jali Katu. Mm -hmm. Indian, uh, small town, the local folks arguing about nothing. They're, they have a bull they're going to slaughter and they take every piece of the bull and that serves the town for, for the whole season. The bull gets away. And then all the town's men and women and kids start chasing after this bull through the town because they have to capture this bull. Sounds great. And it's a whole day of them chasing the bull. Um, the impromptu scenes, the stunts, the camera angles, the shots that are taken of the bull. Um, there's a scene at night when the bull is in amongst some forest, and ember is lit, the forest starts to burn, it's the bull going through the forest, the people coming through the forest, and then the ending is miraculous, the sea of humanity at the ending, as they try and capture this bull. So uh, non-stop action, Kind of in, it's kind of like the raid, but not guns. People running and chasing as opposed to people shooting people. It's so frantic. Fantastic. Yeah. Indian film. Uh, that was a Cameron pick, by the way. Okay. Uh, excellent movie, Jelly Cat. That was in my top five. Cool. All right. Yes. Well, I think we're going to let you go now and have right. some Thanksgiving food. Yes. Uh, Thanksgiving here in uh, Canada, as opposed to the American version, which is in uh, November. So... Got a meal later tonight and one tomorrow, so uh, yeah. get my turkey on. Yeah, see, listener, if you are in the United States, we actually have enough time to lose weight between Thanksgiving and Christmas. 
So it's not a straight through, just eating fest for a month. It's, yes. We have a little time. Yes, I've been to yoga yesterday and today in yeah. anticipation of uh, what's to come today <laughs> tomorrow. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much. And uh, we out. Thank you.